You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Now, if you don't know what Go Wild is, Go Wild is the fastest growing and most active app for hunters, anglers, and outdoor enthusiasts. Literally thousands of people are joining weekly, so it's uh, one of the fastest growing social media platforms for outdoor enthusiasts. Now, most major social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook have strict, very strict, anti-hunting and anti-firearm policies. That's not the case with Go Wild. If you're uh, a gun lover, you can post pictures of your guns. If you're uh, a hunter, a fisher, an angler, you know, all that good stuff, you can you can post pictures of your harvests, you know. Uh, a little blood doesn't hurt anybody, and as we all know, you know, hunters, an animal dies typically when we harvest, and a lot of people have uh, a problem with that on the major uh, major social media platforms, not on Go Wild, right? This is designed by hunters for hunters and anglers. So, um, and here's a, another great thing about uh, Go Wild. They donate a lot of their revenue back into conservation groups. One specific example is Raise Them Outdoors, and uh, that organization um, is helping teach kids to hunt and fish. So they're doing lots of big-time giveaways, and uh, you can store your pictures forever and ever and ever, and there's over 130 species and counting in their systems to uh, to tag and to like, and then you, basically what you're doing is you're joining a community uh, of other like-minded individuals who love hunting, love fishing, and love just being outside. So if you haven't already, go to wherever you d- download apps and search for Go Wild and uh, download it today. This is the Sawn Outdoors Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Sun Outdoors podcast. Um, this week, me, Ian, I went uh, up to Fort Collins in Colorado and chat with a buddy of mine, uh, Spencer Milne of Field to Table Outdoors. This dude is legit. Him and his buddy Cam, they run the Field to Table website, the Instagram. Uh, they got a podcast, and I love listening to that podcast, and that is genuine. I mean, these guys, to me, they just run very interesting content, and I love it. So I wanted to get Spencer on. I finally was able to do it. Um, like I said, I had to drive up all the way up to Fort Collins from Denver, but it was worth it, um, especially after he drove all the way down to Denver from Fort Collins to help me butcher an antelope that I shot last week. So uh, this dude's legit. He knows his stuff. We talk about all kinds of things from mycology to butchering animals to preparation of food, for, uh, specifically taking it from the field and putting it on the table, which is field to table. Um, we talk about a lot of stuff. Spencer's a very interesting dude, a very good dude, and as always, he is fun to talk to. So I hope that you guys enjoy this as much as I did, because I really had a good time uh, sitting and chatting with Spencer. I also, real quick, or just really quickly, want to talk about King's Camo, but this is different this week. So King's is doing uh, the King's Camo Fall Gear Giveaway. 
they put together four different packages, four four winners, and totals over three thousand dollars worth of stuff. All you got to do to win is go over to kingscamo.com and just click the link at the top of the page. Should be up there somewhere. It says Fall Gear Giveaway, and you just enter your information and you're entered. It's pretty easy. It's basically just sign up for the newsletter, which you should be getting anyway. Um, but these man, these packages are, are great. I'm I'm looking at them right now, and they're giving away a Hoyt bow. They're giving away a Vortex spotting scope, a Camp Chef, like a whole setup, a striker, a cook stove. Looks like the griddle top, uh, whole combo set there. They're going to give away a full setup of the XKG high performance apparel, um, and those are the four packages. You got the bow, the spotting scope, the Camp Chef cook set, and the XKG set all the gear so this, this is pretty awesome uh, anyway go over to kingscamo.com and sign up for that and when you're there just check out the rest of the page and if you check out with anything uh, you know buying something use the code SAN S-A-H-N at checkout and you will receive 15% off your entire purchase anything discount items included so any sales got going on whatever that total in the cart is Enter the code SON, and it's 15% off of that total. So it's pretty awesome. Uh, if you're doing that, it helps you out. saves 15%, but it also helps this podcast out um, quite a bit. So if you like what you're hearing, ch- head on over to King's. Find some stuff you like over there and use that code. helps us all out. So no further ado, I want to jump into this podcast I did with Spencer. And here it is. Just so I know. Okay. All right. We're back online. So you're two. Yeah, we're good. And I'm one. So if you at any time need to adjust your headphone volume, that's just your volume. Gotcha. You, you can touch that. I can touch. That's all I can touch. That's all you can touch. Okay, Don't touch that's all I'll touch. Anything else. <laughs> all right. But yeah, that's that's you if you want it, dude. <sighs> Situated at drinking distance. Make sure we're comfortable for the next... At least 10 minutes. We've got to get 10 minutes of entertainment out of this. 10 minutes is easy. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. All right. So, you are Spencer Milne. Is that how you say it? Yep. Um, up here in Fort Collins, Colorado. And you do, your page is called Field the Table Outdoors. Yes, sir. Yep. What else do you do? Um, I do... A lot, too much stuff. Too much. I have too many hobbies. Um, A lot of it is mostly food related. So I do a lot of uh, foraging, hunting, fishing. Those are the big three. But on the side, I like to make bread and cheese and ferment stuff. So um, yeah, I just like weird foods, kind of foods. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I've. I listen to your podcast a lot. I'm behind right now, honestly. But, uh, yeah, I think I've listened to everything up until like the last four. I'm not sure exactly That's okay, because I'm, I'm, I'm behind recording them, so take your time. Well, it's my yeah. chance to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I look listening to all the uh, mycology, is that what you call it? The yep. mushroom? Yeah, all the mycology stuff. Uh, you've had a f- couple guys on there. Yeah, Maybe I've had... Just- um, 
So Josh Vogler is is kind of the big guy in our area. He's one of the only certified uh, mycologists that actually can sell foraged mushrooms. So we have we've had him on a few times, and we've had a, a close friend of ours on, Daniel Gray, a few times, who's just really knowledgeable on the topic. So um, we're lucky that in our field of work, us being Cameron, the other person that does field to table with me. Um, in our field of work, we've met a lot of the people that have access to these kind of wild and forage foods, and so we've made these connections. So I'm able to talk to these experts on the podcast and get information that would be kind of hard to find other places. Nice. Yep. And what is your field of work? Um, so up until recently, it was all restaurant industry. Um, so... Two weeks ago, I started a job, big game processing for the hunting season. But I, you know, I imagine after that, I'll be right back into restaurants. So, pretty much cooking professionally for the past, I don't know, six or seven years. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a while. Yeah. Cooking professionally. So, like, so, like, start well, okay. So, even in, in, my late years in high school, I, I had a job at like Joe's Crab Shack or something, but you know, actually seriously cooking, I went to culinary school and got a job in a real restaurant. I think that was four or five years ago now, six gotcha. years, something like that. And actually, actually cooking, not just doing behind the scenes prep stuff. Yeah. But like actually real cooking. line. Yeah. Very cool. Yep. And what, uh, what kind of, I guess, restaurants have you been in? doing this so the first restaurant i worked at i went to culinary school on the on the coast of georgia and the first restaurant i worked in was a seafood restaurant and kind of our specialty was georgia shrimp because anybody from georgia knows that the best shrimp come from the coast there um so did a lot of shrimp a lot of oysters and a lot of fresh wild caught seafood um so that was a really good introduction that way and then I worked there for, I don't know, probably a year and a half and then moved out to Tabernash, Colorado, where I worked at a, a ranch out there that raised Wagyu cattle and worked in their, um, I don't know how many stars it is, but it was their high-end restaurant that was basically a steakhouse and, um, you know, cooked steaks that were well over $100 for people that were dropping oh, wow. a lot of money. So wow. that was a crazy experience. And then I've been kind of in restaurants all over all over Fort Collins since then, just going to school at CSU and try, trying to pay my way through that. So, What are you going to school for? Uh, I just switched my major to botany. So I had been going for fermentation science for a year up until last semester. but That's a degree? Yeah. <laughs> fermentation science at CSU it's a degree that's pretty much just about beer brewing which is why I, I wasn't super interested in it but yeah oh, that makes sense um, that's a program that's really taken off there well, so what were you hoping to get out of a fermentation science degree uh, I was really I, I'm more interested in the cheese making and actual like food fermentation making kojis and um, different mother ferments that you can kind of preserve other stuff in and that's so were they covering any of that or or, or not they, so much? They had very few... They did have a few courses that covered it for sure. Um, but the focus of 
the overall program was definitely brewing um you know focused it was it was they had classes on like grain selection and and different things that were very specific to the brewing process which hmm. is cool but i you know i'm not super super into that it's interesting yep i know there are, there are a lot of guys who get into like uh, home brewing and stuff and it seems like some of those guys actually make pretty decent stuff and i don't know how many of those dudes have a fermentation science degree <laughs> yeah that's but what it I'm almost saying. seems like that degree could be had or gotten from you on youtube yep absolutely and that's why i switched overall um kind of midway through that degree i really developed my interest in mycology and, and different edible mushrooms and stuff and that path is kind of intertwined with botany so that's that's kind of what influenced that switch gotcha. yeah was mycology totally different than botany or technically like, through yes. botany are you getting any mycology courses yes because there is no mycology specific degree at csu um and it's covered under the botany major but oh, technically cool. they are definitely different different fields of study yeah for, for sure. sure yeah I mean, they have their own ologies yeah <laughs> and otneys yeah <laughs> ologies and otneys ologies and otneys dude that's yeah that's how you tell what's different yep um well that's cool man um what other kinds of things do you guys cover under the uh, the field of table? So we've done a little bit of everything. Um, we've talked about small game, talked a little bit about big game. We've done some scouting. I think, yeah, we've done some like tip episodes. We've done turkey episodes. So we've tried to be multifaceted and we try and kind of correlate with whatever season's going on. So we're looking, we're going to be recording a duck podcast and uh we just did a grouse podcast for grouse season so nice we try and keep things to where we can release them and then you can actually implement them um but with hunting seasons and school and everything underway it's been kind of hard to keep up i'll admit so oh it definitely is yeah yeah it definitely is yeah um so you you already released the grouse podcast yep, yep. grouse podcast came out a week or so ago oh Yep. Um, so grouse season opened up. I, I don't remember beginning of September sometime. And that long I, ago? are are you a grouse hunter? I've actually never been grouse hunting. Have you ever eaten a grouse? I ever never have. It? Never have. I hear it's delicious. Oh man, I hear it's you're, fantastically delicious. Yeah, you're missing out. I, I mean, I've had pheasant several times. Anything like that? Uh, so see, I've never had pheasant. Well, you've never had pheasant. I've never had pheasant, but it's just like dry chicken. I went grouse hunting today <laughs> with a guy. Traded him my grouse spot for a pheasant spot. So, oh, yeah. There you go. Yep. You got you have a plan to go do that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like already like a date set. Opening day. Yeah, we're going out. Oh, when is opening day? Uh, Sometime in late no- or mid-November, something like that. November 10th. Yeah, I don't I don't track the, the small game and the, the bird stuff like at all, but oh, I figured dude, they would have been the same over, opener. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you're a big duck hunter. I'm real into the waterfowl. and, really? and next, All waterfowl. All waterfowl. Not I just mean, ducks. I specifically target ducks, but I don't discriminate against geese. Like a goose comes along, you're taking that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, any kind of goose and, and any kind of duck, you know, diver ducks, whatever. Whatever they throw my way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What about those weird ones with the green blood? I'd eat it. <laughs> I'd try it, you know. It's got to be a recipe. for. And through working at the big game processor, I've gotten to try some unusual meats uh, i tried alpaca the other day and raccoon the other day 
You tried them both? Tried them both the same day. Did, did we, real quick, cover that you're not in the culinary field anymore, professionally? Like, you're doing the big game? I think so. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Because I know this, but yeah. I don't remember if we said it just now. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty... Okay, I'm if thinking. Not, if not... I'm taking a quick hiatus from the culinary industry, working in the in the processing field for the next big game season, basically. Now we're covered. Yep. All right. All right. So yeah, just ate straight up, uh, unseasoned smoked alpaca and raccoon. Both are pretty good. Just unseasoned smoked. <laughs> just aged and smoked. Interesting. Nothing on it. Yep. And it was pretty good. Yeah, Both. Not, I mean, you could definitely make it better than that. Oh sure, for yeah. what it was, for what it was, salt, it pepper, and bad. garlic yeah. make everything better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the meats themselves were pretty good, and and that's kind of my thing is I'll I'll try everything. I haven't not liked anything so far, so yeah. nothing. There's not been like a single meat you've had. So I've definitely or messed, mushroom or <laughs> I've definitely messed up cooking things and not liked that. But that's your fault or a recipe's fault there. Yeah, uh, that's mostly my fault. And I, the motto is try everything twice because most of the time you're going to mess yeah. up the first time. First time I tried grouse was terrible. But now I've kind of gotten the hang of it and I love grouse. I like rabbits. I like diver ducks. I like geese. All of those things were, were pretty unappetizing the first time I cooked them. All of them? Yeah, for the most part. So I mean, did you so the the alpaca and the raccoon? Did you smoke those? Mm-mm. So someone else made that for you. Yep. And they're all right. They're all right. So is that pretty typical that somebody else will make something for you and tells you to try it, or do you usually just get a meat and you're like, oh, I'm gonna do it like this, and then you try your own thing on it first? Um, I would say the situation that I'm in right now at the at the processor is very non typical. It's a, I would imagine. Yeah. It's a, it's a it's a very unique experience, is all I'll say. Um, never had somebody just offer me raccoon or alpaca before, but I'm not one to turn that down. Sure. Generally, how I get my meat is through things like you and I did the other day, where I come over and cut up somebody's animal, and they throw me a bone or two, and mm-hmm. I fill my freezer that way. And I just got donated a deer from the processor that had chronic wasting disease. Which is a big problem out here. Big problem out here. Huge More. controversy. A lot of I've asked a lot of people if they'd eat it. Had mixed reviews. Um, but I'm I already processed it. It's in my freezer. So have you tr- have you had any of that deer yet? I have not eaten that deer yet. Are you waiting? Did or did you age it? At the it was processor? already aged there. Yeah. Okay. So this I don't know. I mean that doesn't matter. I'm gonna ask if someone came in and left it there and you aged it or whatever. Well, okay, so what happened was the person came there with the intention of getting it processed. In the meantime, went and got the head tested. Mm-hmm. It came back positive. They called the processor, said, hey, I'm not, I, you know, I don't want to eat it. Don't process it. If what you time know, frame is that? Drop off to call back? Honestly, I couldn't, I, I don't know. Probably four or five days. Okay. Um, and yeah, they basically said, if anybody wants this deer, this guy's giving it up. And I was like, so then did you decide after that to age it further? No, just the four or five days it was sitting there. Four or five days. I'll probably take out and wet age the steaks just in the vacuum bags. Mm -hmm. 
and uh yeah i ground a lot of it and made a lot of roasts and have a lot of jerky meat so cool yeah i definitely plan on eating it yeah and that's i don't think i would be weird about it either yeah a lot of people are weird about it i think the more you know about it the less weird it is i agree and i've listened to and read several things about cwd that it's just it's just just eat it it's yeah it's been around for a, a lot longer time. than we think we got oh has, yeah for sure yeah only if uh, yeah yeah deer could just all carry it and it could just manifest in certain species or certain animals yep um there's just all kinds of different things that could be happening and and nobody nobody's gotten mad deer disease yet you know <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So what's funny is a lot of the people that I ask will say, oh, I would eat it, but I wouldn't give it to my wife and kids. I've heard people say that, too. Which is just, It's just an, an interesting thing to it's say. Just, like, yeah, just a protective you deal. You know it's it. not a risk because you're eating it, but you're still concerned about it. Maybe those well, guys just... I mean, you have a wife and kids. Is that how you would? No. You would feed it to them? I, I think so, yeah. I mean... First of all, I, I'm not a big rare meat guy, and I know you're supposed to cook wild game pretty rare. Well, okay, chronic wasting disease and and heat have don't go hand in hand. There. Sure, I perhaps I don't I don't know. I cook it as much as you want, and it's still, yeah, it's still prevalent in the meat. Well, it's not an actual disease. It's a pro. It's a protein that doesn't denature with heat. So yeah, you could heat it up as much as. Oh, you Oh, it's want. true. Yeah, it's just yeah. denatured. Yeah. Okay. It's just a weirdly folded protein. Weirdly yeah. folded protein, but that's. I mean, my body still digests that protein. Probably yeah. Pro- probably as far probably, as research shows, probably yeah, breaks absolutely. it down. The protein's not gonna. Or just passes it through. Or without, passes. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't mess it up at all. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well. No, I I wouldn't be weird about it. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely gonna eat it. So. Our unit this year out here in Colorado became a a mandatory check unit. Um, last year it was an optional unit, and nobody wanted to stop and get checked. They were all in a rush to get home, you know. Yep. And uh, so I'm I'm curious to see this year, you know, if, if any of us How get many a come out. Yeah, I mean, we all plan on tagging out. I think there's, well, we got three three last year. I, think I mean, five I think it's definitely important to to test and and kind of track, but I don't think it's anything for the actual like hunting public to be concerned about. No, yeah, I I think that yeah, if it is a manageable disease uh, or a manageable thing um, that CPW can deal with, yeah, then yeah, I'm happy to provide information. Yeah, definitely. Just like taking all the the surveys and stuff after a season, like I'm happy to do all that because it. It helps the process it helps along us yeah. in the long run, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I'm, plus my own curiosity, I'm, I'm just curious to see, and and yeah, I feel like if it comes back positive, there's not going to be an issue. Yeah. I I just don't see, I don't see an issue for me or my wife and kids. That's what I, that's my exact feelings, but it's just interesting that there's a lot of people out there that don't feel that way. So true, but I'm gonna eat it. Yeah. Anyway, that's how I get most of my meat is <laughs> just kind of weaseling my way into it in different situations like that. Luckily, I've learned this year that you don't have to necessarily be the best hunter as long as you know people who are good at hunting. If you know enough people who hunt, yeah, 
even if 10% of those people tag out, you're good. And you maintain <laughs> a weekly phone call with those dudes. Yep. You're, yeah. <laughs> your your freezer is going to be full too. So, um, yeah, I'm lucky to have some some rare meat in there. Antelope, bighorn sheep, uh, alpaca steaks. Um, yeah. So I'm pretty. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and I haven't. I, ha- I mean, I've killed grouse this year. Right. So That's yeah, you just released the grouse podcast. Yep. Which I need to go listen to still. <laughs> um, but today you just went out grouse hunting, right? I sure did. Yeah, out uh, in a a certain spot that I've been hunting for the past few years, and has just always produced a really huge number of grouse. And what are the GPS coordinates to that? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'll just we can post them on the show notes after this. Sure, yeah, they'll be on the show notes. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's it's right in the heart of Denver. It's just a real hard spot. Right you know? there, yeah. uh, just in the Platte River. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but we were lucky enough. We we went out. It was I was hunting with a friend, and it was the first time I had ever hunting hunted with a dog, and it was this dog's first time ever hunting grouse. So it was kind of the blind leaving yeah. the blind there. Um, but it was funny because on the way up, every time I'd be like, "Oh, we were driving through an area," and I would be like. Yeah, I usually see a moose here. We would turn a corner and there'd be a moose right there. And then nice. We were coming out of a field and it was like, yeah, there's there's a lot of antelope in this area. And we'd pop over a hill and there'd be a ton of antelope. <laughs> and we were driving up the road and I was like, <clears throat> the road to our hunting spot. And I said, we sh- you know, we should really keep our eye out because I've shot a grouse just driving off this road. And two seconds later, there was a grouse <laughs> off the side of the road. So I uh, started off the trip on a good note and got a grouse before we even got to the hunting spot. And, um, yeah, we ended up having a really good day and we both shot our limit. And so I'm got a mini fridge full of dead grouse yeah. right now, hanging and aging, hanging so. and aging. <laughs> and you hang and age all, all everything. your birds, everything, everything. Yep. Um, so all birds I'll leave, I'll, I gutted them. I left the heart livers and gizzards in the grouse and I just strung them up by their foot left the feathers on and i'm hanging them for, for in a, four or five days in a mini fridge in, in your a, living room in a mini fridge <laughs> <laughs> that looks like it would have beer but when you go to grab a beer you just just dead a handful of feathers man yep yeah this is a cool little spot man you got you got some cool decor the mini fridge being one of them <laughs> it's an old mini fridge i mean it's like yellow it's it's retro but it is retro. It kind of com- it complements the moose paddle and yeah. You got a mule deer head out front. Mule deer heads. Just in the. This is all stairwell. stuff that I found. I haven't killed really anything. It's all stuff you found. So I did see mushrooms on the uh, oh, entertainment on the center. Entertainment center. Yep. Did so you, are those real? Those are real. Those are so through field to table. We um, took this group out basically and took them mushroom hunting but it was at the end of mushroom season so mushroom hunting without a lot of high hopes and basically we found a lot of really dried up kind of well preserved specimens it looked like they had just been put in a dehydrator and that's kind of what i like to decorate my apartment with so (laughs) yeah i took the nicest looking ones and i just kind of set them out nice is that yeah. the only spot they are, or do you got them around the? No, I've got apartment? them there. I've got them a few places in the kitchen. I've got them on the dashboard of my car. I have a few dried mushrooms, and just hanging out. Anytime I find a cool looking one, I like to yeah. keep it. Yeah. 
I've got a few vertebrae around. Anything that's cool looking and outside, I'll I'll take and just right put on. <laughs> it's a cheap way to decorate the apartment. Hey, it's a cool way to decorate the apartment. It's, yeah, it's pretty. It's unique, but it's not odd. You know, it's not like oh, this guy's weird. It's familiar, yeah. It, yeah, it's. it's I mean, there's dried mushrooms around, there, yeah. and and one one of them's huge. So what on the entertainment center? What do you got there? Um, so. The, the big ones that you were seeing were russulas, which is one of the most common mushrooms that you find in the forest. Um, and they are, they get, they grow in all, I mean, every color of the rainbow you can find a russula. And they kind of are the mushroom hunter's bane because they look like a lot of edible mushrooms from the top. And then once you get close and go to pick it, you're like, ah. So it's not an edible mushroom. Russula. So there are definitely some edible russulas. Um, the most notable one is the shrimp rustler, and it looks like a lot of the the unedible ones. And none of them are, are like super toxic; they just aren't very tasty and might upset your stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one in particular just smells like shrimp, and it's supposed to be really. There's a lot of mushrooms like it that. Smells like shrimp. There's a lot of weird mushrooms, and it's annoying there. enough that you're like, nah. No, that's a that's a prime edible. Oh, that's the prime edible. The shrimpy one. Oh. Yeah, that's the one that you want. Um, All right, then. And then, so Russula, have you heard of lobster mushroom? No, I have not. Well, okay, lobster mushroom is one of those ones that you can buy in Whole Foods for like $40 a pound. Whoa. Super expensive mushroom, and that's basically a Russula that's being infected by another fungus, and it's actually changing the mushroom's like molecular, molecular structures entirely and it changes it from an inedible bitter wrestler to a 50 dollars pound mushroom really yeah just because there's another mushroom or fungus growing on the mushroom changes it entirely growing in the mushroom i guess becoming yeah i don't know like fungus is fungus is weird man yeah it is weird yeah they say a lot of weird stuff at least i've heard that fungus pretty much all fungus is basically everywhere just the right conditions will pull out certain fruits well yeah, some of it doesn't fruit at all I sure mean, there's definitely fungus that doesn't send up fruiting potties that we would see um but yeah i, I mean i think the number is somewhere between like 80 and 90 percent of all land plants have to have a fungus associated with their roots in some way shape or form or else they like don't don't grow very well at all basically Weird. yeah i mean it Probably keeps, definitely keeps soil healthy. Keeps soil healthy, exchanges nutrients. Yeah. Um, but for me, they just taste delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a whole different exchanging of nutrients. Yeah. There's a lot of really, really tasty mushrooms out there. And I'm probably, I'll, I'll send you home with some. I don't know to about try. that, man. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, if you've you got, got some. I've got the prime, the primo stuff. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not um, those Colorado mushrooms. No. <laughs> the, no. No, I've got a, I, this year was was a rough rough year on mushrooms being so dry and hot and you know it rained like three times this yeah. summer. Um but I I was lucky enough to do decent and I have a few stockpiled. So sweet, dude. Yeah. You, you dry shared them, just dry them all? No, it was it depends on the species and the condition. Um morels I'll always dry. Oysters, I'll most of the time dry unless they're real young, and then I'll freeze them. Porcinis, 
same way. If they're old, I'll dry them. If they're young, I'll freeze them. Um, yeah, it just depends on the condition. Frozen mushrooms work beautifully. Hmm. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Not a lot of people know that. Most people do just dry them. But. Just, just in a bag in the pantry. Yeah. I've got I've, I've got jars. Jars. Jars, yeah. You got to keep them airtight, or do you want them to breathe once they're dried? Uh, it's it's probably better to keep them airtight, but I'm not super concerned about. I just kind of throw them up there, and you probably eat stuff fast enough that you're no, you don't have to be worried. I try about. well the good stuff. I try and conserve. Of so I'll <laughs> it's like like the middle middle of a cinnamon roll. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta just save that bite for last. So I'll bulk out. I'll throw like a ton of dried oysters in with a few porcinis and like yeah. a couple more. Else. You're just trying to like bulk get it the out. flavor of yeah. the good one to mixed with the other ones. Yep. Uh, there you go. Yeah. The g- the the real prime prime mushrooms though I eat on their own. Just, I mean, a porcini steak is almost as good as an elk steak. <sighs> That's that's, a, that's that's heresy, top, man. No, no, no. <laughs> Don't knock it till you try it. Yeah, a well cooked porcini mushroom yeah. makes me feel the same as a well cooked elk. That's crazy. Yep. I mean, it's probably nothing like what you're talking about. But the closest thing I think I have to relate with is like, uh, like eggplant parmesan or something. You know. <laughs> Like, it's not even a mushroom. I get that. Not even close. I know, right? Well, but I enjoy the texture, the flavor of the eggplant nearly as much as the chicken. But not the chicken close. will always win. I, I absolutely understand where you're coming from, working in a vegan restaurant for a year. Vegan substitutes are not anywhere near as good as meat. And what I'm saying, not that I'm not even trying to compare <laughs> the two... In that sense. Have you ever had a porcini mushroom? I don't think so. Okay. Hard for you to understand. That's what I'm saying. I don't have much to go the on. The flavor of a porcini is as good or better. I will, I'll throw that out there. As good or better. Than an elk steak. Than an elk steak. What you do miss out on is, you know, the nice rare texture. Yeah. But the texture of porcini is pretty pretty meaty and actually like well yeah if you for do a it. mushroom i would rather if i were a vegan i would absolutely rather have a porcini steak than tofu or seitan or any of that see i can believe that yeah i and can believe that if i had been eating elk all year i would reach for a porcini steak every once in a while you want to mix sure. it up of course yeah. yeah i mean and if i had been eating porcinis all year i don't know if i'd want to reach for an elk a what what <laughs> you still wouldn't want to mix it up <laughs> no i would uh, eat what I they're both in my eyes like the pinnacle of of what they are of what they are. Gotcha. Like the porcini steak is the it's pinnacle like, of mushroom hunting. The gotcha. elk steak is like you made it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, so. yeah. You got a freezer full of elk, which I've never actually had. But if you got a freezer full of elk, you got some friends. Yeah. <laughs> people people come around a little more when yeah. there's elk. I mean, I see. That's funny, though, because people are way more skeptical about eating wild mushrooms. Even if, you know, it's something that I've been eating for years, people are still really put off about it. Really? Yep. So you can't farm all mushrooms, can you? No. No. That's why some are really expensive. Sure. But the mushrooms you can farm, 
Do they are they using pesticides on these things? A lot of them are f- are grown in controlled environments, like where they wouldn't necessarily be exposed to pests, like for, greenhouses or something, or basements. Yeah, or places where they're just because mushrooms fruit really quick. So hmm. by the time a mushroom fruits to the size that you want it, till the pest gets there, like that's that's plenty of time to pick it, probably. So a lot of these places are just rolling through them before they could ever get invaded interesting i don't know and and mushrooms have have a lot more natural protection than plants do so i don't want to say they're less susceptible to pests because the big fruiting bodies definitely get chewed up by pests but i think like overall you're not going to destroy a mushroom in its entirety mycelium and everything like you would a plant because i'm just wondering about you know if uh there is a big difference between how healthy a, a wild mushroom is compared to a farm-grown mushroom of the same species, um, just because of pesticides or something. So that's actually that's interesting, and that's something that we've kind of touched on on our podcast before. And so, mushrooms are are most people know that mushrooms are more closely related to animals than they are to plants, and they have an immune system basically so there's no as i haven't done very much research on it but you know my belief is the wild mushrooms that are are actually out there surviving in the elements and and being like a wild thing same as wild game are gonna be you know comparable to beef to elk you know what i mean it's like it's like a hardier mushroom yeah it's gonna be more uh nutrient dense it's going to be hardier. It's, it's going to have more flavor. Um, it's just going to be better overall, in my opinion. Gotcha. Yeah. That's why I let my kid eat dirt. Yeah. It's, hey. it's a, it's the more wild, the more stuff you're exposed yeah. to, the she, yeah. better your She's immune system is. going to have a great immune system for sure. Oh, she pretty much does. Yeah. But yeah. That's interesting. Very interesting. Yep. So mushrooms are a big part of... I'd say field to table is like half mushrooms and half everything else. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know a lot of guys on social media and things are always talking about morel season. Yep. Oh, it's and like, I forgot to mention that we did a morel podcast with Orion Aon. I I should have of Forage Colorado. Oh. I, shout out. I left that one out there, and I would <laughs> feel bad if I let that go all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, you definitely had. Of several experts on and then i i consider you guys experts you know I... well don't do that <laughs> <laughs> you know more than me and actually this is interesting when we're done here i'll have to show you a photo i i was out deer hunting in utah and i i took a photo of a plant that i was interested in and i was going to text it to you and i never did but now that i'm here i'll show it to you when we're yeah. done um i wanted you to identify something for me i probably don't know it because i don't know very much desert stuff but uh, this is basically just like the hills out here. Okay. Utah and Colorado are very similar. Gotcha. Um, but you were saying something about morels, and then I interrupted you. Sure. Yeah. So just morels are kind of like the, the popular mushroom. Everyone's talking about morel season. Yep. And, and then I listen to you guys and your podcast and some of these people you bring on, and, and even just you and Cam just chatting about stuff. You know, um, There's a lot more out there. There's... So much more out there. And it's funny because, um, you know, I'll be walking back from 
picking a bunch of mushrooms and I'll have a bag full of different stuff and somebody will come up to me and they'll be like, oh, that's really cool. Have you ever heard of morels? And instantly I'm like, are you from the Midwest? Yeah. And, and nine <laughs> times out of ten they're like, oh, yeah, I grew up in Iowa or something because morels, I would say countrywide, are are definitely the most sought-after mushroom. Why is that? They're In places that aren't Colorado, they're fairly common and they grow in, in – pretty good numbers um they're tasty and they're really easy to identify there are some there are some false morels there are some there are at least three lookalikes that i can think of right now yeah and they some of them are definitely some of them have been pointed at for killing people really yeah whoa the the gaia mitra species i think is that out here at all oh yeah what? Yeah, generally, um, I'll find a lot of the Gaia Mitra before I'll find black morels in an area. So it'll be like a week before the black morels fruit, the false morels will fruit. And it's really e- easy to distinguish if you know what you're looking for. If you know what you're looking for. Yeah. 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 And so I, I've got curious in morels, and I've actually never been out to find any mushrooms. But I got curious in it last year, and I started researching what in the hell is a morel, you know? <laughs> And I found this this whole deal about the false morels, and I don't remember reading anything about any of them killing people, but I do remember that they can make you quite sick in some yep. cases. And uh, so at the time last year, I was boned up on it. You know, I kind of had just read everything on Wikipedia, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> all the sources and things. And and some kid posted a a photo of him with some morels, and he's like, "Hey, just in his hat, you know, or something." And it, Found a bunch of morels today. Can't wait to eat these for dinner. And I was like, that's not a morel. I just knew right then, that's not a morel. Yeah. And I hit him up about it. Um, just sent him a message privately and, and was like, hey, man, you might want to double check those. I don't think that's, that's what you right. think yeah. it is. Yeah. He did. He double checked it and he went, came back and was like, yeah, dude, these are definitely not morels. Thank you for that's saying it. something. Because I don't know what it. Definitely could have been in some. I just some thought trouble. the worst that was going to happen was his whole family was just going to be fighting over the Throw toilet it. all night, you know, but but apparently death well, could have happened. So what's interesting is that one that I was talking about, the guy Mitra, and I could be totally butchering that pronunciation, but I'm going <laughs> to say it with confidence. Do it. Um, Own that. <laughs> yeah, so that's actually a, a really common edible in Europe, but it requires a bunch of weird preparations where you boil out the toxins and do a lot of like weird, unnecessary... There's do, there's better mushrooms out there. How do people figure that stuff out? Just pass. There's better mushrooms out there. It's like all I said you try a mushroom. Yeah. Oh, Spencer died. <laughs> well, maybe if we do this, we could try it. Well, that guy died. Yeah, just keep let's, going. Yeah. Let's keep doing <laughs> let's something. Boil it twice. Yeah. Let's see if it works. Yeah. And there's a few mushrooms like that. Um, and I just stay away from all of them. I I would. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, you know, you you might think you know, but you don't know. Yeah, and with mushroom hunting, if you're not 100% sure, then don't do not do it. I think I was telling you, I got interested in, in, uh, in cactus um, fruits and stuff um, yep. out, in, out in Utah years ago. Especially, I, was, I think what got me onto this was I was watching, uh, as cheesy as this is, uh, like Man vs. Wild or not that one, the good one. <laughs> uh, with the Canadian guy? The Canadian dude. Les yeah. Stroud, yeah, Survivor Man. Survivor Man, yeah. yeah and he he he's in Utah. The good one, <laughs> the good one yeah. It, uh, and he uh, 
he's trying to find food, whatever, you know, he's out by himself for his week out in the desert, and he finds this little tiny barrel cactus. And instead of just having straight pokey, like, spines on it, it's got fish hook spines. They all come back. Um, really cool looking. But on the top of these little barrel cactus grow these, he calls them desert strawberries. And uh, apparently they taste just like a strawberry, but they look like a like a chili pepper, a little red chili pepper. Huh. But as big as your thumb in I some cases. I remember you telling me about those. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, I can find that if he can find that, you know. And I did a little little research and tried to figure out some identification on them and, and things. And it was actually done in St. George, Utah, probably about a year after that whole interest came about. And then uh, I found some on the side of a trail. And so I picked one and I wanted to just try it. And I knew, I know a little bit. I don't know how to identify anything, but I know how to identify what you don't want, you know? That's good. That's a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I did like the whole nibble thing where you just put a little like on your lip or tongue or whatever, you know, and just see if anything goes numb. Yep. And uh, pretty soon um, my throat started itching real bad. And my tongue went numb. My lip, my bottom lip felt like it was just hanging down. I couldn't drink water kind of stuff, you know? Dang. Yeah, and so and I just nibbled on the tip of this thing. And, and uh, apparently I didn't research far enough. But there is a lookalike that is really not good for you. Dang. It'll close up your throat. Man. Yeah, and I don't yeah, know why that exists. Yeah. <laughs> why does that cactus decide it needs to kill something that tried <laughs> to eat it? Like, what's the point? Um, There's a lot of stuff out there that'll do it, too. Yeah, it's nuts. So you got to really know what you're looking for. Yeah. And in, in all edibles. Because, I mean, there's... Well, the kid... Um, forget the name of the, the book. It, they turned it into a movie with... Uh, uh, Emil Hirsch. Uh, where he, like, he, does, he decides he's going to go live in Alaska. He's like a rich kid, and he sells his car, and he sells everything he has, oh, and he goes to live in Alaska. Into something? the wild, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. And he ends up eating what he thought were... Uh, like wild potatoes, but it was a lookalike. Yeah, the wild parsnips. Yeah, that killed him. Yep. Oh, yeah, the carrot family is one of the... I'll, I won't eat anything wild carrot, anything. But wild onion. Because there are lookalikes for wild onion wild that are pretty nuts, too. super, super easy. Because if it doesn't smell like an onion, it's not an onion. But isn't there a lookalike smell like that's pretty bad? No, there's a lookalike. But what is no that? Look, sm- there's no lookalike smell like combo. What is it? What does that smell like? What does it look like? Smell like? It smells like dirt and... Plant. It smells like nasty plant. Doesn't smell like del- doesn't smell like. So if nice it smells plant. like onion, you're probably onion. pretty good. If it smells like onion, if it looks like an onion and smells like an onion, then you're pro- good. It's an onion. It's an yeah. onion. It's All right. Onion. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm back onto that one then. That's yeah. the goal is to find some wild onions. Oh, those I, are easy. You have to show me. We we'll have to go out one time, man. Yeah. Oh, I would love to. I would love to. Yeah. There's a lot I would love to identify. Actually, I bought a book. Years ago, called the Encyclopedia of Edible Plants of North America. Do you have that book? <laughs> no. So generally, with things like that and field guides and stuff, it's better to go region specific. That's kind of what I found. Yep. Also, this thing is just like a like a scientist wrote it. Everything's in <laughs> Latin, dude. I don't understand the book. Yeah, the, a lot of them will be like that. But yeah, for for most of my mushroom field guides and berry field guides and stuff like that it's it's usually like rocky mountain region or colorado if you can find state specific that's definitely the best way that would be good yeah i thumbed through this book but it was organized in such a way that it wasn't it wasn't readily apparent what region things might be found in yeah and i would much prefer a region specific book yeah 
It's just it makes yeah. everything way easier. But I have the master book now. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the the key to consult. It's a big book, man. It's, I think it's like that thick and this big old. Yeah. It's, a, it's mean, like a whole volume of encyclopedias. It's big. Yeah. When it, when anything's called an encyclopedia, it's it's up there. Inside, it's up there, sure. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, grouse. What do you plan on doing with your grouse, man? Ooh, that's a that's a tough one. I've been kind of pondering that all day. Um, what time did you shoot these today? First one we probably shot like nine a.m. and then so it's been twelve hours. Yeah, and I wouldn't even touch them until I'm gonna. I, I have to cook one Tuesday because I'm having people over, but my uh, the other two are gonna hang until at least Thursday or Friday. And and today is Sunday for the listeners. Um That's, yeah. This won't actually air till Tuesday, so. Okay. So yeah, I mean it's going to it's they're going to age for at least 4 or 5 days for sure. Um like I said whole feathers on. I left the the, the heart and the gizzard the liver. Edible guts inside. And I could have eaten the edible like I could have eaten the heart and the liver and everything tonight. That doesn't necessarily need to age, but mm-hmm. Grouse themselves are are pretty tough if you cook them the night before. And the first time I ever ate grouse, it was, it, I didn't cook it, I didn't kill it, but a buddy of mine did, and it was pretty terrible because it was like two hours after it died we were yeah. eating it, and it was like chewing on a brick. So dang, you live and you learn. And now I age them all. Um, yeah, I've done I've done a lot of different stuff with grouse. Um, I think the absolute best way to to cook a grouse is to brine it for a little bit and then smoke it like a turkey yeah sure. that's what i do with turkey and brine yeah. them and smoke them yeah just like a turkey but way smaller way smaller <laughs> <laughs> yeah so less time there how, how many people will a grouse feed you just plan on doing one when you have company this week because i'm going to be incorporating it into something else i'll probably smoke it and make like a, a fettuccine or something with it oh, okay um a whole grouse, I would say, is between the size of a Cornish hen and a chicken, if you're familiar with those two. <laughs> do you know what a Cornish hen I is? I do, yeah. Okay. So it's it's like a... It's the difference between a baseball and a small football. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in the middle of that. It's it's A big grouse is like the size of a small chicken, basically. A real small chicken. Not a, Not a real small chicken. A small chicken. Just a small chicken. Just a normal small chicken. Yeah. Um, you know, one grouse could comfortably, easily feed one person if they were just eating a grouse right, in yeah. the woods. Right, yeah. I, I can eat at least half of a barbecued chicken. Yeah. At least half. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you could, eat a, you could probably eat a whole grouse, but if you're cooking other stuff with it, um, you know, one grouse split in half is... is a decent meal for one person. So one grouse, two people. I'm cool with that. Cool. Yeah. Limits three grouse. So I got six meals today. If you look at it that way. There you go. Yeah. It's fine with me. <laughs> How many people are you feeding when, when company comes? Um, it'll be, it'll just be two. It'll be me and two others. So you and two others. So three people. Three people. I'll probably one bird. One bird. But incorporate it into like a fettuccine or something. Yep. Gotcha. 
That really doesn't sound bad at all. That's wild awesome. mushrooms, grouse, the whole man, pine, the whole woods experience. Are you are you putting a cookbook together? <laughs> I'm way too lazy, and and this is my downfall. I can't document any of this stuff. Do you just make it up as you go every time? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like, did you get like the Hank Shaw cookbooks or anything like that? No. You can, I mean, if you want to look at my library after this. So the only cookbooks I have are for stuff that are science-based. So baking, I can't just throw together. That's chemistry, basically. Yeah. I can't just throw together a good loaf of bread. Nobody can. At this point. A baker can. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. If they've been baking for a long time. Yeah. Um, Cheese making, also really specific in different pHs and temperatures and stuff like that. Yeah, it's chemistry again. So that's that kind of stuff. I definitely buy recipe books for. Um, but no, like I just applying like, heat to things. You're just heat and flavor. You're just gonna go for it. That's easy enough. If you know the 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 bare bones of cooking, mm-hmm. you don't need to buy a cookbook. My mom is like that, dude. It's easy. Yeah, it really is. And she says uh, the same thing. Yeah, I'm like. We're hanging out at her house, and she'll be like, hey, uh, is anybody hungry? I'm thinking about making some cheese soup. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, just sure, warm up some cheese soup. She makes the whole thing from scratch <laughs> in less time than it would take me to open a can of Campbell's. And all it is is, you know, you you weren't, you couldn't hit an antelope the first time you shot your bow, but you kept shooting your bow, you know? Like, yeah, that's the thing is you just got to, first time we cooked a grouse, it was terrible. But we kept cooking grouse, and now they're delicious. You know what to do with the grouse. Yeah, so you just got to keep at it. Cooking is really easy. You just got to learn a few things. um, There's no need for a Hank Shaw cookbook. Unless you want to get crazy on flavors. Not even then. Not even then? No. I mean, so I feel like, at least when I cook, I'm, I'm sort of, I think, between where you're at and... Maybe where Hank Shaw's at. Like, if there's something I've never cooked before, I want to just, I'll, I'll actually get on and read like three or four recipes of that thing. I do the thing. same thing. I got a general idea yeah. of what people are, are, like, what goes into this. What I like to look at more is complaints that people have about it. Like, if people are always, like, if you type it, you know, you like all recipes.com. Is grouse good? On Google or something. <laughs> You'll get like, no, it's tough. It's terrible. Or is yeah. goose good? No, just shoot them and leave them. So that's the type of stuff that I like to look at first so I know what I'm up against. And then from that, I can decide, do I want to slow cook it? Do I want to cook it hot? I, you know what I mean? So you're reading the comments, not even looking at like a recipe. Like you're just Well, you can get a, a general sense of something. For instance, if you type in... Um, Jackrabbit recipes. Almost everything you'll get will be braised. Okay. So you can get a general sense that that's probably pretty tough and most people are braising it. Sure. Um, so it's just a good, you know, kind of direction. Gotcha. To take, to follow that. But I, I see what you're saying. Browse through a few recipes. and Yeah. So I'll decide I want to make like a stew out of something or a, a chili. I found a good deer chili recipe this last year. Um, that really is three recipes I skimmed through. You know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to make chili. I had deer, so I searched deer chili, and then I read three or four recipes, and I'm like, all right, well that sounds good. That doesn't sound good. I'm going to do this from this one, that one from that one, and I I just kind of make up a Frankenstein recipe as I'm making it. Yep. And that's how I cook. 
So I'm looking for like a, a specific meal that I know I want chili or stew or gotcha. like a roast. And then just kind of throwing together the best parts of everything that you find. Sure, yeah. But but again, it's just you skim through and you're like, okay, that all sounds good. I just remember the good parts and yeah. then I just kind of go do it. Yep. So I'm not following like, not like a true Hank like, Shaw okay, recipe. eight ounces of tomatoes. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I, I'm not spazzing over I can't find an eight ounce can because they only come in tens and sixteens for some reason. That's a good way to be if you are relying on a recipe. Most of them and I don't know Hank Shaw. I actually haven't opened that book yet. Most people that write recipes, because I've been around a lot of people writing recipes, are absolutely guessing. They're like, Yeah. That was probably two tablespoons of salt. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. That's the I yeah. A pinch like my I mean, favorite I, I, recipes are pinch of salt. Like that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And if you are buying a recipe book for something that is like baking or cheese making or something that's more specific, definitely get something that has the measurements in uh, like weight units. You don't want like one and a quarter cup. In weight units? You would, instead of like one cup of flour, you look for like 16 ounces of flour. You know what I mean? You want to do things by weight because if you are following a recipe, there's kind of no point if you're doing it by volume because things could be more, you know, tightly compact or. Right. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Well, when baking, almost any time you see brown sugar, it's like a packed half cup of brown sugar. Like you, you pack it. You never like have a loose, right? Loosey goosey one so, cup yeah, of sugar. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is like recipes are definitely not concise. So if you're following it. If you are relying on a recipe, don't freak look out for over one it. with. Don't with freak words. out over it, and if you if you do <laughs> need something that's specific, look for something that you can get real specific on by weighing it out. That's way too technical for me. I'm just gonna keep guessing and tasting. For as wild I go. game, you don't. Yeah, you don't have to worry about it. Just, well, like you said, like there are certain things that I've made several times that I just kind of know my little tweaks or what worked last time and what didn't. You know. Yep. Um. Rarely touch the measuring cups anymore for some of those things. Yeah. It's just kind of, I remember that. And, that was it, you know. and that's what, that's the way cooking should be. Yeah. Instinctual. Yeah. Yeah. The good ones are always instinctual at it. <laughs> Watch a lot of cooking shows at my house. Wife's way into all the cooking shows, but she doesn't step into the kitchen. That's honestly, that's a, <laughs> that's a good way to, to learn and kind of see what goes with what and how you put, should put things together. I got, Oddly, like into ramen, and this will just be a small segue because this has nothing to do with anything, but because of cooking shows. Okay. This into ramen for like a little while, and and yeah. <laughs> that was it. That was the whole. Well, segment. I didn't realize ramen could be such a. Oh yeah. A broad thing, and and I saw this this I mean, whole season of this show was just on ramen, man. And, yeah, oh yeah. And I didn't realize what doors you can open with noodles. You can open a lot of doors with noodles. It was nuts, yeah. So There's I got way into it for a while. Real passionate people. Which I guess actually brings me back around to where I started going with this whole thing is that, uh, yeah, when I when I cook, I I do get on like a like a just like a single track for a while. Like I'm into tacos <laughs> for like four months, <laughs> and so every night at dinner is just different tacos. I feel like trying to make. That's hilarious. You know, and sometimes it's just fantastic grilled cheese, you know. <laughs> but I get in these kicks where it's just a little while. I spend some time perfecting tacos or something else, you know. 
See, for me, that's kind of forced because not making a lot of money and being in school, you can only buy a few ingredients. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, all right, I got cheese and bread. I'm eating grilled cheese for yeah until I'm out of it. And I don't. You know, I went through college, and I just don't think that I uh, that mentality left me. Cause that's yeah. still how I shop. Yeah. 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 Just eat it until yeah. it's... Yeah. I was like, I got a bag of cheese at home. I don't need to buy this. Yeah. You know? I still got that cheese. Yeah. I like to, to get a little inventive when I have like these grouse. I'll, I'll treat, you know, kind of delicately and anything weird that I have come through. I like to get a, I like to get a little weird with it. Just, are you trying to see how far you can push it or what do you mean weird? Not necessarily see how far I can push it, but so for instance, this is going to totally contradict what I just said like two minutes ago about not using recipes. <laughs> um, but there's a rest, there's a really, really great website. Um, there's a few of them actually, but the one I'm thinking of is, is called greatbritishchefs.com. And it's for the very seriously culinary, culinarily minded people out there that are listening to this, if they're interested and, Basically, it's all the Michelin star chefs in Britain and all of their recipes and like their methods and stuff. So it's super in-depth and just really kind of complicated techniques and stuff like that. So I the generally, if I shoot something for the first time, like the first time I shot a jackrabbit, I got on that and I just saw what those people did. Yeah. Um, and the first time I handled a heart, I was just seeing like – because – you'll see the whole scope of how you can handle that ingredient. Yeah. Um, because these people are doing, like, the one of the heart recipes I saw was a heart that was cured in sourdough starter um, and fermented in that for four days and then hung to dry. And then they grated it over top of things like Parmesan cheese. And, like, you won't find that recipe on allrecipes.com. Yeah. That's the type of stuff that's out there. So... I, I haven't ever followed one of those recipes to a T, but that's a great way to see what these people are complimenting it with. Because if you search for a duck recipe on there, most of them will be with like a cherry glaze or you know what I mean? So yeah. you, you get an idea of, of what's really good and how to treat it. Yeah. Um but I kind of forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> um, you're bringing up uh, with the grouse. Oh, um, I was just saying I like to were... get weird with stuff. Yeah, there basically. You go. Yeah. And so a lot of the inspiration is drawn from that. And mostly, I like to cook things with whatever they were eating, if I can. With what the animal was eating, or what it's near. Um, so grouse, I'll incorporate pine, wild mushrooms. Um, you know, juniper berries, things like that. Is that a common practice? Or is that something you just kind of mm. stumbled into? I don't I don't know if it's common. There's definitely people out there doing it. Um, it's a little bit more... It's just part of my... So, working in the culinary industry, I don't want to delve into this too much, but the food system is, is really awful and... Um, foods are are not really respected for what they are. Even, you know, vegetables and, and I, all meat, everything's basically mistreated. 
Sure. In my mind. And the ultimate respect you can do to anything to me is to like, I don't know, kind of keep that homeostasis there. Like respect it as a whole. Interesting. It's this ecosystem. So this is, this is how yeah. I'm eating it. Sounds really kind of hippie So it's like in, surf and turf just straight blasphemy to you? <laughs> depends on where you are. I guess, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I'd eat, I would eat milk steak with walleye cheeks out here or something. Or crawfish. I oh, there you that. go. Yeah, that's surf and turf. That's surf and turf. You just gotta, you just gotta, <laughs> you know, finagle local ingredients in, into there. And I think in the long run, that's the only way that people are gonna, um, actually like be able to feed themselves because corn and wheat and stuff like that just isn't isn't good for you it's not good for you in the amounts that we eat it so if you can go out and get wild asparagus and wild mushrooms and elk yeah do that for sure that's probably how people ate before farming yeah or even in early stages of farming you probably just grew what was naturally around anyway most people that grew up with our grandparents have a lot more knowledge of um, wild plants than our generation does because they were actually, oh, sure. you know, a lot of them dandelion is one of those things that was really common in the diet. And now it's just sprayed with roundup, you know, dandelion's actually good. I've had yeah dandelion salad. It's actually great. Yeah. It's really good. There's a lot of stuff out there like that. Yeah. That now is just kind of disregarded and sprayed with weed killer and, Throw it in the trash. There are guys who go out on like big month-long hunts, you know, out, out west here, Colorado and Utah and some places, just big ranges where they don't pack food. Really? And they just try to eat what they find and kill. That's pretty intense. That would it's be, crazy that intense. That would be very and hard I, to do. I wish that those dudes would document more what they're surviving off of and how often they're eating because for me... A couple of huckleberries and some raspberries. Yeah, like a handful of <laughs> pine nuts or something, if you're lucky. You know, just doesn't seem like it would cut it. No, that I'd, would be a tough way to, to do it. Yeah. You'd have to have really, really good conditions. and. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to be like, like an ultimate woodsman to be able to do something like that, it seems like. Yeah. Like just absolutely know what you can eat and where to find it and when. Yeah, the thing about foraging is you don't ne- you don't generally find things in that big of quantities. Well, and a good rule of foraging, I also know this, is you don't want to take so much that you're killing the source. Yeah, which with mushrooms doesn't matter, but plants does. Um, right, yeah, we want to strip like a whole... Well, like most pines, you can eat most pine, right? Most conifers? You can, yeah. Like you can eat the bark. Uh, really high in vitamin C. Yeah. Yeah, you can do a lot with conifers, actually. We would take the pine bark and grind it up into a powder and incorporate it in pasta dough. Well, you can make like faux noodles out of the innards of the bark. Yeah. Yeah, pine is, is really versatile and um, used in a lot of survival situations. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very versatile plant. But you can't live off that. I mean, it'll, it'll eventually go straight through you, I think, won't it? Oh, I don't think you could like... Eat pine and get calories. I think you could. There's calories in everything. 
you would get you would have to eat a lot of pine needles. Your mouth would be super it's so dry, super dry, and just covered in nasty <laughs> resin. Um, I used to chew pine needles to cover my my breath, elk hunting. Yeah, and it's just the, the tannin in a pine needle just oh, dries you out so awful. hard. But there's there's other stuff out there that you can eat. Um, miner's lettuce is pretty common in the mountains. All kinds of different berries and um, a lot of different wildflowers and stuff like that that I would definitely reach for before pine. <laughs> yeah, if I knew more, I would eat. Well, we'll more. get you there. Yeah. Oh, I'd love that. Absolutely love that. I'm going to talk, I guess, segue in here. It's not a smooth segue at all, but uh, the antelope. You came over the other night to my place. Yep. Uh, two nights ago? Something like Friday that. night? Yeah. yeah. So Sunday, so Friday night. Came out and uh, um, but we butchered up three legs or something. Yep. Three legs and... Which I have some. to say, you took great care of that meat. Thank you. Yeah, it looks beautiful. Well, I was nervous because I didn't want to freeze it, and so I didn't freeze it because I I just had it in the game bags, so I didn't want it to like freeze all the crap all over top of it or whatever. And so I I called you or texted you or something and asked how I should store it until you could come Friday. And I think, let's see, it had been in that cooler since a week ago, so Sunday, and then you came over the following Friday. So, yeah. Days, five days five, in the cooler. Five days in a cooler, and I just kept swapping out frozen jugs of water that I had. Um, and I was getting pretty nervous that that wasn't going to be good <laughs> for it, you know. But when we pulled it out Friday evening when you came, uh, the meat, once we started cutting into it, actually smelled quite flavorful. Like it smelled better to me then than it did yeah. in the field. No, it it smelled delicious, and it it looked like there wasn't a hair on it. There wasn't a piece of grass. You guys took really good care of that thing. I I like to try. And <laughs> let me just say, working at the game processor, some real raunchy meat coming through there. So <laughs> I was happy when I showed up, and it was, uh, you know, something that was actually that I could work with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I get I get a little weird. I'm not I wouldn't say I'm a germaphobe or anything. I don't overly wash my hands or anything like that. But uh, I get a little weird with with food, man. I I don't like like if the if the kitchen's dirty, I just won't cook. Yeah, I have to clean the kitchen and then cook. And some nights that's just not possible to do both. <laughs> so we order pizza sometimes. And but yeah, that's the thing. I, I just can't do dirty and food. And so that's good. Yeah. Um. Plus, you know, I, I think I mentioned to you Friday, I had a sort of bad experience with the, with the deer meat, um, some real bad place that we butchered him up in the field and, uh, or I guess quartered him out, and then um, took him to a processor, and about half the deer got processed at a process, uh, you know, game, game processing place, and then the other half I did at home, and at home I found rocks, little pebbles like pea gravel inside some of the meat, pretty deep in, you know, like pushed in somehow. And I know that the the processor didn't take that kind of care yep. with the meat. And so actually in that deer chili recipe, I found some some ground gravel, which was a big bummer because it kind of killed the whole meal for me. But Oh, yeah. And then that whole batch of chili. Or... Yeah, I'm curious. I mean, I've, I've made so much of it that uh, I have like a gallon of it frozen in the in the freezer. And I'm just, I can't 
bring myself to yeah because you're gonna be thought out because i don't know if i'm yeah yeah and that's the thing like if you can process your animal at home and just take the time and do it it's going to be way better in the long run and if you take the time in the field to keep it clean and if you can keep it as intact and possible if you can get that thing out there out of their hole with the hide on do it hide on take the guts out leave the hide on Absolutely, because if you can can skin it in a controlled environment where there's not dust blowing and and grass and stuff like that blowing, take it back as as intact as you can. If it's a hundred degrees out and you're hunting antelope, skin yeah. it out for sure. Um, but you know we're getting into rifle seasons and cooler weather, so it's not going to spoil that quickly. It's not going to spoil as quickly as you think it is. Sure. Um, so get it out as clean as you can rather than as yeah. quick as you can. So that makes sense. And and I've always heard, because um, this, this is only the third big game animal I've been a part of taking apart. Um, well, that's not true. I've taken others apart, but in the field, um, kind of quartering it out. And um, so my, my personal experience is very limited, I guess is the point of that comment. But what I hear a lot of is that uh, getting the meat cooling is key above all else, especially with, with antelope, which is what I, I just shot last Sunday. Um, you know, a lot of guys who don't like antelope, the guys who do like antelope always tell them, well, you gotta got to cool it down quicker. And a big part of that is taking the hide off. Um, and like you said, you know, it was it was 94 degrees that day. We shot it, the, I, well, I shot it in the morning, and uh, nice and cool, but man, as soon as that sun came up, uh, yeah. full, I mean... By, by eight o'clock in the morning, it was yeah. eighty-three degrees. You know, just brutal. So, but yeah, I mean, I guess clean and cool are the two big things, right? Yep. And yeah, in rifle season, you're not as worried about cool because you get the guts out, and that cools enough, right? Essentially, yeah. I mean, this year's been unusually hot, so I don't know for sure, but. If you are going to skin it out, take your time doing it and don't get hair all over the place, but don't rush because you think it's going to spoil in the sun. Um, you know, don't don't yeah. mess around and take too much time, but it's important to have clean meat as well as it is important to have cool meat, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we've just seen some some really <laughs> poorly taken care of animals and it's kind of sad how much meat you have to trim off and lose because of that so it's kind of the same as rot waste if you think about it yeah i i would definitely well anyway interested is not the right word your antelope was immaculate well thank you yeah thank you yeah a little little bit of perfectionist i guess coming out (laughs) um so yeah well yeah anyway very very uh grateful that you came out and did help me out with that and uh, you brought a grinder we ground a bunch of that which is awesome because i was wondering if i was just gonna have to stake it all out or something you know <laughs> and just eat these weird little pieces of the legs and um but yeah it was, it was awesome appreciate you coming out and doing that man yeah definitely this is worth it for me i've got some antelope in yes man i brought some more for you i i, I forgot i I pulled aside when we were in the freezer. I pulled uh, one of the backstrap pieces, and I didn't send you with it. So I brought you a backstrap, oh, too. 
Sweet. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Cool. Um, so don't let me leave without that. All give, right. Give yeah, I'll that. give whenever we, I give you the mushrooms, we'll oh, yeah, mushrooms. exchange. There we go. Yeah. This is not a barter. <laughs> no, not a barter at all. These are both independent transactions. It's completely independent. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I want to talk about uh, this. Pro- hopefully, the last thing. We're getting a little <laughs> long here, but uh, not the knife skills you were using. I mean, so you brought three knives to do butchering that that antelope. Yes. Why those three knives, and what were they? So I had a boning knife. I had a just a. Really cheap fish filleting knife. So just a fillet knife. Yeah, cheap. Uh, I think it was like thirteen inches or something like that. Twelve or thirteen inches. Yeah. Um, and then I just had a, a normal chef's knife. So the boning knife used for taking stuff off bones, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and that's what I'll use for ninety-nine percent of the cuts when processing. Um, so I'll use the boning knife to take things off bones, take bigger tendons out, um, and do just kind of some of the more coarse rudimentary work. And then um, I'll go in with the fillet knife and take the silver skin layer off and just get as close. So, so when I take the silver skin off, I like to be able to see the blade of the knife between the silver skin and the meat. So um, you're getting like That's a good way to there. tell that you're not going to lose too much meat. Yeah. And, it, you know, you're, you're going to take a chunk out. It's just about how sure. small that chunk is going to be. And so that's what I use the fillet knife for is, is doing the, the, the final cleanup and then the chef's knife come out when I have to cut steaks or, um, you know, cube a bunch of meat for the grinders. Right, we like cubed that. a bunch yep. with that knife. Yeah. So every knife has a pur- purpose. And, I, uh, you know, I realistically I could do it all with that boning knife, but the other ones just make it a lot easier. Right, right tool for right job yep. kind of thing. Is that a carryover from uh, your culinary skill set, or is that something you kind of picked up a bit with uh, working at the processing place? So the the meat processing kind of started when I worked at that steakhouse I had mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, I never got hindquarters or front quarters or anything like that. That sure. was basically taking the loins out of the back and trimming the silver skin and, and fat and stuff off like that. And then... Processed a few animals for a friend of mine that I all hunted with. And then this year started working on that processor and got a lot of experience yeah. with front and hind quarters. Um, you made short work of the antelope. What well, that was, yeah. That was like a big dog, basically. <laughs> that, that's the thought I had. That was a tiny, tiny animal. I, uh, um, and I don't know how big. That was probably a pretty big buck. It was a good-sized animal. Yeah. For what it is. But, antelope but an antelope's just, tiny. Yeah. We so. picked him up and put him in the back of the truck whole. No big deal. Not yeah. even gut it out. You know, Easily. I just picked him up by all four legs and yeah. tossed him in. So it took me, what, like an hour and a half while talking and having beers and oh, yeah. well, I mean, doing all kinds of I stuff? I was probably distracting you more than helping. <laughs> and you still made short work of it. Yeah. And once you learn, you know, once you do it on an animal or two, it's really easy. So I would definitely suggest processing animals at home. Yeah. And it's not like we'd had a bunch of space or weird equipment or anything that no, you just had the a, average person wouldn't have, you know. Just a just a regular vacuum sealer you brought over. Which before that, I uh, the deer the deer last year that I processed, and then uh, one of the legs, the back straps, and the neck of the antelope I processed uh, on my own with 
just plastic wrap and freezer paper. Wax paper, yeah. Right, yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, you don't even need the vac sealer, but having that, I think those things are going to be excellent in yeah. there. Um, and like we, we talked about it very briefly whenever we were vacuum sealing them, I just think they have a lot of advantages that wax paper doesn't give you. Yeah, and, you pulled up some great points for yeah, that. I think in the freezer, it's probably close to the same, but once you pull it out of the freezer, the vacuum seal bag has the advantage for sure. What are those advantages? Hit people with that. You can thaw it in your fridge without getting blood everywhere. Huge, Huge advantage. Huge advantage. Huge advantage. <laughs> um, if you have to thaw it quickly, you can just throw it in some water and, and let that thaw it out. If you, no, you don't have to find another bag. and Yeah. yeah. If you're into the sous vide thing, just straight from the freezer into the sous vide, um, you know, I, I I would say that the vacuum seal bag is is it's king. Is king. <laughs> Wax paper's old news. It looks cooler. It than looks. Your freezer. It, it they looks both cooler, look cool though, because I got like all these packs of see-through yeah, freezers. You can see the meat. Yeah, I can see that's the meat. another thing is you can see the condition of the meat. Yeah, you know exactly what you're looking at. Yeah, you can see actually uh, if there's air or, or crystal forming on the meat actually through the vacuum seal. Bag. Yeah, and you can say, oh, this uh, has three steaks in it. This has. Two steaks in it, you know? Yeah, but I broke that on the other ones. Oh, okay. A little Sharpie action, dude. But, uh, yeah, so I forget. There was a, there was not, a broader it's, thought it's of It's not that. super specialized equipment. There you go. It's not super specialized equipment. Yeah, you just had a, a little, I mean, I think I went and got bags, and I saw that that same vacuum suit you have just at Target. It's the cheapest brand. For like, the cheapest model. Like a hundred bucks or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think I got it for like eighty or ninety dollars. Yeah, a few there you years go. Ago. Yeah. yeah. And then you a KitchenAid, which is pretty common in most people's kitchens anymore. And you yep. just had an attachment. The meat grinder the attachment, grinder. which also has a sausage stuffer with it. Really? Um so it's the same machine, you just pop the front off and change the attachment basically. And that was like forty or fifty bucks, I think. Super what cheap. What did you find there's the attachment? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. The kitchen aids, say, the kitchen the kitchen aids like are bucks yeah, or four hundred bucks. are more expensive, and that one's been in the family for a while. Um, it's probably older than I am, but yeah. yeah so that I've done two elk, uh, your antelope, and my deer through that grinder, and it hasn't hasn't had any issue. Wow. Yeah. What Which about is, the uh, the sheep? Grinding any sheep or? We haven't decided if we want to grind that sheep. Yet. It almost seems wrong to grind yeah. sheep. We ha- he he. So a good friend of mine was able to get a bighorn sheep tag this year and was lucky enough to actually get a bighorn sheep. And so I went over to his house, processed it, and now I have some of that in my freezer. But he just cooked some of it tonight and and um, said it was as good as or better than elk. I'm, 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 I've heard know. it's the best game meat there is. I've also heard that about antelope. I've also heard that about elk. That's true. I've never actually heard someone say that mule deer is the best tasting meat, though. No, I've heard a lot of bad things about mule deer. I like it. It's fine. Yeah, it's, I it's like good. it all. Yeah, it's just different. But it's no one, different. no one's out there just like you got to eat mule deer. <laughs> yeah, man. yeah. Um, but no, I'm excited to try the bighorn. Yeah, I've and, never tried it. Yeah, this will probably be one of the only times in my life that. I'll have it in my freezer, so. Yeah? Probably. You gotta move to Alaska or someplace. <laughs> like, hunt it every three months. Yeah, every three Whatever every they're doing. Weeks. 
Some uh-huh. of those dudes up there, man, they, they're always, always going on a sheep hunt. I don't know if they just know everybody in the state and they're just helping all their friends out or if they're actually getting that many <laughs> yeah. tags, you know? Yeah. Uh, they're probably, I don't know. I, anyway. I would like to hunt one in my life probably, but I like mule deer and elk. Yeah. And that antelope hunt was so much fun. Dude, as, yeah, first year I've done that. Um, even attempted it. And... Um, even when I thought it wasn't going to end well, as far as bringing home an animal, still I still was looking forward to applying next year. Oh, oh I'm yeah. stoked on it now. From the first stock that yeah, I had, the, I was like, I'm doing this next year yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it shows I learned a bunch, spent a lot of time outside. A lot of time outside. A lot of time in the sun. A lot of time in the sun. Antelope country is Hot. sunshine country. But luckily, you're in your car in the AC, like... 90% of the time. What do you mean 90% of the time? I spent you maybe 20% way of the time. differently than most people did. I did? Oh, yeah. I was in the car, like, unless I was stalking a buck, basically. Was that not how you did it? I mean, yeah, but I was. you'd see a buck so often. Like, okay, okay. so I went out for a solo little venture, like, a Tuesday, like one Tuesday evening, between the two weekends that I was able to go. So it was like I went opening weekend. The following week was archery out in Utah for mule deer. Then the next Tuesday I went out for a solo antelope deal. And then like a, the following weekend was the last weekend I went out. But that Tuesday, driving up the road that you actually showed me, and boom, there's an antelope. So I get out of the truck, and I just kind of decide what I'm going to do, and I kind of sneak off after him. One hour goes by and blow the stock. Get back in the truck, drive a hundred yards down the road, past the next <laughs> little hill. Oh, there's the next one. Okay. So I'm in the truck. Fair enough. For five minutes between stocks, you know. Depending on the depending on how frequent the antelope sightings are, but antelope hunting, you're spending a lot of time in the AC, a lot more time than you would be if you were hunting something else. Yes. Can you agree to that? I can agree to okay. that. Yeah. Right. Unless you're unless you're just a road hunter anyway. If you're that That's guy anyway. That's hard to do for a lot of other things. Some guys do it and yeah. some guys who do it kill some big yeah, stuff, that's man. True. It's crazy. That's true. Nope. But that is the way of an- that's like how you antelope hunt. Yeah, it is it is road hunting. It is definitely road hunting, but uh doesn't yeah. make it any less fun. No, it definitely doesn't. Because, I mean, I don't know about you. I, I, several times I got down just army crawling. Oh, yeah. For, I think my longest army crawl was about 200 yards. See, what's, like, when you're army crawling, you think you're making super far distance. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm almost there. And <laughs> yeah. then you look back and you've gone, like, five feet. Yeah. So I don't think I had any that were anywhere near 200 yards. But I was definitely army crawling. and I mean, I was doing that for mule deer, too. Yeah? Yeah. I just like crawling. You just like crawling around? <laughs> no, I mean, sometimes you just got to make some make some distance. Yeah. Well, I think I told you there's one stock. Um, I got on some private land, and uh, they bale hay, and so they had a bunch of hay bales just laid out, the big one-ton bales. And yeah. so just all these hay bales, but they're, I mean, it's a ton of hay, every bale. So it's 100 yards between them. Or something, whatever it is, you know. And I was stocking up on these two bucks, and the only way to kind of make up the ground because they were 
half a mile away or something, you know, was to just put the hay bale between me and them and then just sprint at the hay bale. <laughs> I did that about four times and, uh, you know, they ended up still wandering off and I just couldn't run fast enough. Yeah. Even a, even a walking antelope, you can't catch it. Oh, man. You blink and they're 200 yards further. Oh, than yeah. Well, that's the thing. If they decide they're going to be gone, they're just they're going to be gone. And they're kind of... They're kind of like jerks about it. They'll they'll yeah. go just outside. <laughs> they'll go like seventy five yards and then turn back and look at you and be like, "What are you yeah. gonna do? You gonna keep coming?" Yeah, yeah. I had one make this this circle. Like it was coming right at me. I tried to get in line of where I thought it was gonna feed through, and so I went around to the like the direction it's heading. Um, in front of it, there's a hill. So I got the hill between me and it, and then I snuck up to the the peak of the hill. To where just my eyeballs were poking out above the hill, and I could see him. And then I kind of repositioned to where I thought he was going to feed through, and just waited. Something happened, and he got spooked and ran past me. But as he was coming past me, he crested the hill a little bit, and as soon as he could see me, he just decided he was going to run out to about ninety degrees of me. <laughs> um, so I he stops and looks right at me, and I range him, and he's at ninety-seven yards. It's like, well, I can't shoot that with my bow. I mean, it'll probably go that far, but I'm not that accurate, yeah. so I'm not doing that, you know? And so he sits there blowing at me a little bit, and I'm just trying to stay still and flag him and see if he pays attention or whatever. But he wants to get a different look, so he continues his semicircle around to now 180 degrees from where he had been to me. So he's just the other side, as if he would have passed straight through. Range him again. He's like plus minus one yard of 97 <laughs> yards he just knew his radius where he was comfortable with me being and he stayed that far away from me and that's like i'd say that's pr- a pretty typical antelope stock yeah <laughs> like they that never, happens so many times they never get that far away but they always stay just out of range yeah the the day before i killed the antelope so last saturday i did a stock and uh well it wasn't even a stock it was uh Okay, so let's back up. I did do a stock on some antelope that took off. Um, but on that stock, I had seen some other antelope on some private property that looked like they were going to be feeding into this public piece of property. So I went to go back that way and went to check them out and see if they were still heading my way. Well, as soon as I kind of get where I can see them, um, they've already seen me, figured something out, and... They're all alert. It's like a whole family. One of the bigger groups I've seen actually out there. And it's, you know, a couple bucks and four or five does and a bunch of fawns and just all just standing up looking at me. And my rangefinder only goes out to about 850 yards and I I couldn't get a range on them. So I ranged something else that was my my guess was about half the distance away from them and me, like so in the middle somewhere. And that distance was four hundred. So I'm guessing they were at least at least eight hundred, a thousand yards, yeah. and they were already deciding that I was too close. Yeah, and so it just every little group had their different distance, you know, that they were going to allow me to be in. Yep, and then interesting they would just to keep see that. that from you. Yeah, yeah, antelope were are a weird animal, but that was definitely a fun archery hunt, even though I didn't get anything. It, yeah. I, yeah, like you said, though, I was still hooked from the first stock. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely going to be putting up for that every year. Are you, 
So you didn't even put in though. You got a leftover. So I did. I so I drew a doe archery tag for that unit. Oh, you did. Yep. And there were. I noticed when the leftover list came out that there were two buck tags for that unit, and for me that was like a big deal because I am going to school full time, mm-hmm. and that season opened up before school started. Um, right, which is not the case for the doe, mule deer, or elk. That's all like the the weekend after school starts, basically. Oh, gotcha. So that was like the time that I had to hunt. So, yeah. um, yep, leftover day came, and I went in person to the CPW office. So everybody out there that was complaining about not getting their leftover tags, that was trying to do it online, you should have seen that coming for sure. Yeah, well, uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I went went to the office and I was lucky enough to get one of those two tags and just traded in my doe tag for a buck tag and yeah, hunted started started opening day and just hunted through that weekend and um lost broke some stuff in my bow, lost rangefinder, lost a knife. Spent a bunch of money in gas going back and forth to fix my bow and get rangefinders. Jeez. <laughs> Um, so it was a rough trip and that was, that was the only time I had for antelope. After that, I started focusing on mule deer. So that was my only, that was my only weekend out there. It's a great weekend though. It was, yeah. Yeah. It was fun. I had a lot of encounters. So I guess you put in for the same unit. I'll probably put in for 87. Why? You only putting them for one? Well, it's just closer. I don't know. I like to hunt something that I can just shoot out there and not have to drive. That's you know, true. If I can drive forty minutes, I'd rather do that than an hour and forty minutes. So those are big units too, man. Yeah, and they're, they're so huge. weird with like the access to certain places. Like all the the county roads don't fully. I mean, they're kind of laid out as a grid, but they don't pass through all the way. Yeah, so you have to do a lot of weird and yeah. Yeah, a lot of weird zigzagging to get up and around. and. But I don't know. There's a few different units I have my eyes on for antelope. And now that I have a few preference points, I can kind of get get a little bit more of a uh, desirable Did you get a preference point spot. back because of turning in the doe tag? Or so did I'd, you still eat the, the point? The doe tag was actually second choice. So I got a preference point and the doe tag because I, I drew it. As my second choice, they don't take a, they don't take a, your points when you draw second choice. They give you a point when you don't draw first choice. Really? So if you draw first choice, they take your points. Yep. But if you draw second choice, you still earn the point. You earn a point and you get that tag. What? That's why, dude. The tag system's all game. You gotta like figure it out. That's such a weird thing. You gotta it's... think how can I still get a tag and a preference point and. Because otherwise, a lot of people wouldn't have either wouldn't be hunting or wouldn't have preference points. You know. Well, um, Utah, you, you draw anything, you you get burn your, your points. points, and it's like you know you might be putting in for elk or something for six or seven years, and you got seven points going on, and you put in for your number one unit, and you're like, yeah, but I wouldn't mind hunting this other unit that's a zero point draw, and you still you and you still, still burn seven points on a zero point draw unit. Like if you draw anything. No, I'm I, so I'm not I'm not an expert in this, but I'm 99% sure that in Colorado, if you don't draw first choice, you're getting a preference point. I might have to double check that because that sounds like like a way to beat the system, man. Yeah, that's what you got to do. That's why you don't just 
Just put in for the hardest unit every year. Yep, put in for the unit that you want every year, and then put it in. Put in for the unit that you can definitely hunt second choice. It seems like that would just as second choice every year. Like accelerate point creep, because everyone's it earning does. points every year. Yeah, and yeah. no one's burning all of them. You know. Well, people are burning all of them. And well, a lot yeah, of people, some once people they get are. To five or six, they'll they'll get whatever unit. You know what I mean. So it, it just depends. A lot of some people don't care about preference points. Some people only hunt over the counter. Some yeah, people man. like you don't know about the second choice thing. I didn't know about the second choice thing. Well, double check me on it, but I'm Yeah. Cuz now I think I know about the second choice thing. But um, I'm still going to double check that. Yeah, double check me on it, but I'm pretty sure about that. Uh, was it Josh? Your buddy Josh yep. that came out with you? Was he the guy he on one of your podcasts um Maybe it wasn't him. One of one of your podcast dudes said something about like the best, the best unit that you can hunt is the unit that you can hunt every year. Who said that? That was most likely Nate Zelinsky. Zelinsky. I was gonna say yeah. Z sounds good. Yeah. So yep. Yeah. Nate Zelinsky said uh, who is an incredible hunter. That podcast is fantastic. Yeah, and gave some. Really, really, really unique insight. On that dude's playing. He's playing chess on some level. He is. He's. He's in tune with the animals for sure. Oh, he's nuts. Um, I learned a lot talking to him. But I learned a lot listening to you talk to him. <laughs> but basically, yeah. It, the more familiar you can be with an area, the better you're. You're gonna hunt it. Yeah, even if it's not uh, like a giant trophy unit. Yeah. You just. The yeah, I remember when he said that. You know, the the best unit that you can draw is the unit that you can hunt every year. Definitely, and uh, that I mean that that podcast was focused on scouting, so it was mostly about getting to know the animal that you want to hunt. But that definitely goes hand in hand with getting to know the area that you want to hunt, and that can transfer over. Same thing can be said for fishing, like learn your river really well. Yeah. Um, same thing can be said for foraging. Like there, there are spots yeah. that will produce mushrooms year in and year out. So, yeah. the more time you can spend familiarizing yourself with an area, the better off you'll be. Right. Yeah. You you want to have that home field advantage. Yeah. You know, and that's huge. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, people are putting in for these twenty year draws, you know, and and then they have they're, to hire a guide or on something. Forms and stuff for ideas of where to go. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Versus people on Facebook. Versus just tagging out on the biggest deer you can in the unit that you hunt every year. I mean, realistically... Or not even that, but I mean... There's big animals in every unit. Oh, there are. You just have to, to work harder in some of them. Yeah. And if you know the unit better, you got a better chance of that animal. I've drawn, I've drawn archery tags in the unit that I hunt every year with no preference points for deer and elk. And I have seen... Bigger mule deer in there than I see, like on TV. It's <laughs> some of the deer that I've seen in there are just outrageous. Yeah, and it's regarded. I mean, I did a little bit of research before I started hunting it, and you know, back in the day, it got hit pretty hard with CWD actually. So the herd got wiped out a lot, and it's regarded as a pretty bad hunting unit. But it's full of deer. Yeah, and they're big. So that's the thing, like some of this stuff, you know, people, these, these units that, that take 20 points or even 10 points to draw, you know, are, are going off of records from 20 years ago. You right. Know, and who knows? 
when you it draw could have it. totally changed. Yeah, by the time that you draw it in your twenty point time frame, you know the, the unit could have had something like CWD come through yeah, and, and destroy or it something, yeah. or something. Yeah, anything. And so it's all usually extremely old information. Yeah, and everything ebbs and flows. And the hunting close to home is especially important for me because I don't have a lot of time to do it. So, right, and that's the big thing. You know, we. I just got my dad into hunting a couple of years ago, and and uh, the first year we went out, um, we went to a unit northern Utah, and I don't even know why in the hell we applied for that unit. I, I've never been there, <laughs> you know, never never been scouting there and stuff. I lived out here, and so it wasn't like a place I could go and and get to check out. It's like a seven hour drive, you know. So it was a pretty bad hunt actually as far as seeing animals because we didn't know anything we didn't know where to go didn't know what the animals in that area did or anything like that so since then i mean we grew up in a small town in utah and, and our backyard is a fantastic range and uh started putting in for that unit now you can go up after work for yeah a few hours that's the biggest you know? thing most of the encounters i've had this year were the few hours i had after work or or right after school or something. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the more you can hunt it, the more opportunities you're going to have. If you can only hunt one weekend and you have to drive seven hours to wherever you're <laughs> yeah. hunting, you're going to be pretty stressed a, out when you don't see something the first day. Spend a whole weekend just driving, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's brutal. Got to gotta stay close if you can, and, and that, that helps a ton. Those guys that seem to be the most consistent are the guys that are hunting home ground. Yeah. Yeah. So... Well, Spencer, I have no idea how long this has been. No, me neither. Seems like a little while, but that doesn't seem like a number that has anything to do with time on your computer that is screen. Counting measures because we're recording in this, we can do. Holy moly! Yeah, almost, almost three hours. Is that right? No, yeah. almost two hours. No, I think almost three. I always forget how it does. It's like starts at one sometimes. It's always oh, like a okay, one, so it might be almost two. That would make more. That it feels like it's more like almost two. That's yeah. Weird. In any case, we better wrap this up. But I appreciate <laughs> you let me come out here and talk to you, man. And it's uh, it's just it's awesome picking your brain on all kinds of stuff. You, you got a lot of like you said, different hobbies going on, and you're pretty into all of them. Yeah. And you're Try super curious about all of them. So you seem like you're always learning. And and like I, I mentioned, I love listening to your podcast because it's. You're always asking all these questions, all the right questions. And so you're like a, a couple steps ahead of me in the conversation, <laughs> you know, as I'm listening and, and, you know, everything you ask is like, oh, that's a, oh man, it's so cool. I can't well, wait yeah, to hear the answer. I'm so. glad that it's, it's translating that way because it is genuinely just because I am curious about all this stuff. That's the, one of the best qualities you can have. Yeah. In life in general. Yeah. Just constantly being curious. It's fun to learn. So, but yeah, thanks for having me. This has been fun. Of course, man. So real quick, where can people find you and the Field to Table stuff? And um, So Field to Table Outdoors is on Instagram, just as Field to Table Outdoors, and Facebook, same thing. And then our podcast can be found on pretty much all of the major podcast carriers. Uh, not sure about Stitcher. I think it's on Stitcher. But yeah, anywhere that you search, you should be able to find our podcast. Um, just the Field to Table Outdoors podcast. And then we also have a website that 
like I said, I'm not very good at documenting things, so admittedly is kind of lacking, but there are a few good recipes up there for elk and goose and maybe grouse and some things like that. So, and that's just field to table outdoors.com. So yeah, everything's under field to table outdoors. Cool. Yep. Thank so, you, man. Thanks for talking to me. It's been fun. It's fantastic having you. <laughs>